Welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. This episode is the first part of a conversation that I recorded with my musician friend Benam about four years back, soon after we met at the meditation retreat. Since then, we lived in the same house for several years. Many things happened to our lives and careers, and I guess we have both changed in different ways. Recently, as I was planning to look back at this conversation, I was imagining that it wouldn't be interesting enough for my podcast standards today, and I would be lucky to salvage any part of it. Boy, was I wrong. I found the whole conversation very thoughtful, engaging, and vulnerable. And it was also interesting to hear snippets of the people we used to be four years back. So here is the conversation in its entirety. In this first part, Benam summarizes the story of his life so far. Then we talk about his perfect pitch, what it is, how it originates, its relevance to tonal languages like Mandarin, and how it in fact hindered him as a musician. Okay, so my first question to you is just give us a brief understanding of who you are and what you've been up to so far. Like your uh, just a brief bio. Brief bio. Yeah. Um, I think just diving straight into what I've been up to is pretty fun. Um, mm-hmm. First. Well, no, but first, I mean, where are you from? Where did you grow up? A little bit about your yeah, parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I was um, born and raised in Lubbock, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um my mother grew up not far from there um, in Plainview, Texas. Mm. Um, my dad grew up in Shiraz, Iran. Mm. Um, and uh, so I have one older sister. 
Mm. Uh, we were both homeschooled growing up, so homeschooled, love a kite. Um, I started going to public school when I was 12, um, part-time at uh, one of the local middle schools, and then full-time in high school the next year. Hmm. Okay. Um, how did your parents meet? They were um, both in Canyon, Texas. I think it was at the time it was like West Texas A&M. Right. Well, now it's like West Texas A&M. At the time, it was something else. Um, small university, two hours north of Lubbock. Yeah. Um, my dad was getting his master's in geology, and she was getting um, a degree in nursing. Hmm. Okay. Pretty cool. Do you have any... You don't have any siblings, do you? The older sister. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I see. And how, how much older is she? She is two years older. Ah, okay. Cool. So, what 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 have you been up to so far? Um, Just or more, more recently... More recently. Um, yeah. T- tell me what you've been up to since the end of high school because that, that part's common to everyone. Yeah. Oh, um, but no, not in your case. You were homeschooled for a while, yeah, you said. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and I ended up taking five years in high school. Yeah. Um, I did my first two years and then uh, at that time got really serious uh, about violin. So I yeah. dropped out of high school um, basically to be a full-time practicer. Um, and then I did that for one year. Uh, there, there's a precedent for uh, young classical musicians being quote unquote homeschooled, getting the GED, and going straight into conservatory. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't like the most outlandish thing anyone had ever done. This was like a track to getting to a certain place. Um, but after after that year, I decided I wanted to go back to high school. Yeah. So I did um, as a junior, and then finished up high school. Okay. And then what have you been doing since? Since then, I my freshman year of college, I moved to Los Angeles to study at the Colburn Conservatory of Music um, to study violin performance. Mm. Uh, after one year, excuse me. After one year there, I transferred to the University of Houston because um, I I had in high school and, and continued to have an interest in writing my own music and composing. Um, there was no composition department at Colburn, so that wasn't something that I had the possibility to to pursue um, mm. more. Um, so I transferred and did one year at U of H as a violin performance and music composition double major. Uh, then after the end of that year, I finally decided that I didn't want to be a classical violinist for the rest of my life. And so I dropped out of school, uh, moved to Austin, Texas, uh, lived there for one year, um, spent a lot of my time reading. Uh, I was a part-time uh, math and science tutor to high schoolers and middle schoolers. And I took a yoga teacher certification class. Mm. Um, and then, um, this is this is what I'm still in now, uh, I reapplied to universities and decided to go to the Minerva Schools, uh, which is a uh, new university based in San Francisco um, that's a little bit quirky, and I'm about to enter my third year with them. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to... Uh, a better description of what your current um, education system is like but I first want to talk about the, the music stuff so to begin with I'm intrigued but so you have perfect pitch what does it mean and how did you get to get it okay um, <laughs> best I understand perfect pitch uh, it's sometimes called absolute pitch it's it's sort of um, you can think of it as like sort of like an auditory dead reckoning um, basically when someone with perfect pitch Here's a note uh, at a certain frequency, 
it is uh, recognizable as that frequency. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people apparently um, do not have this ability. They have what's called relative pitch. So they can notice when the tone goes up or when it goes down, but can't tell you um, what that note is by itself. In isolation, yeah. they wouldn't be able to identify it as um, like an A or a G or whatever note yeah. it is, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, yeah. So is this something to do with hearing discrimination in hearing ability or does it something to do with linguistic ability that you hear it and you can remember the name for it, you can name it which which do you think it is uh, I'm, from what i've read the jury's out like they have, they have no idea um mm. i personally i don't know either uh, i think it's really interesting because it's almost like I, i've tried to imagine what it would be like to have a, a relative color palette like like only being able to recognize colors in, in juxtaposition with other colors yeah because i think that's like the, the, the most analogous thing or being able to name differences of colors mm-hmm. but not the absolute even if you may be seeing it right right because, you only notice the contrast yeah. i mean it's interesting because um knowledge especially um this the sort of discursive knowledge where you where you're calling different things with different names mm-hmm. Um, the words that we use for things and the names that we use for them are inextricably connected with our knowledge of them. Right. Well, so I, that's, I, I mean, maybe I hear the middle C, but I just, something about the naming part in my head, the labeling classification part doesn't work. And so I think I don't even hear it differently. Or, well, and so this is actually something that I, I, I kind of uh, got a little bit perturbed by at first as well, because um, like, yeah, the the idea of a scale like with A B C D G, um, mm. that's arbitrary, right? So so in my mind, I was like, that's actually, like, there there are there are frequencies in between, and yeah. and so I was curious. I wonder, like, I wondered to myself how high the fidelity was of some other people's perfect pitch. Like, can they actually hear the difference between four forty versus yeah, four forty one yeah. um, hertz? Uh, and it and it appears from what I've talked about with friends who have it or don't have it, some it's 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 to varying degrees of fidelity. I see. Um, so, so it's not it's not um, a binary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah. do do you think this has to do with how long they have practiced naming uh, pitches? Because um, your ability to hear, I think, will be at the same level, but your ability to classify and name them may improve with uh, how long you spend in this exercise. Maybe I think I think. Uh, I don't know that the naming is the difficulty because it's like you know I know yeah. that note, yeah. Um, like play you like say say it's like a pitch and no one's ever named it right. It's just some random yeah. frequency. You play it twenty minutes ago and you tell people to listen and then you play them like the same note twenty minutes later. Yeah. And you ask them, is it the same note? People with perfect pitch will know if it's not. But that also has to do with memory. Right. No, that's 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 true. That's true. Yeah. Well, and, and and that I don't know. Um, I don't know how much of that is is. is yeah. Man, this is like a huge box of enigma. I know, it's I know. Like, what and, the and, hell and that then is this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've, I've I've read some like scholarly articles on it, and, and there really isn't much literature on it in terms of, of providing a de- definitive answer to those because those fall into deeper problems of like yeah. where is memory stored, how is memory stored, like yeah. how is language processed. Because the, okay, so it's not just memory; it's it's a lot of things. It's hearing, it's language, it's memory, it's classification, mm-hmm. and so man, we've. That's okay. That's interesting. Okay, so is this a? Do you have you heard about the the origins of this? Is this genetic? 
Is this a um, genetic random quirk the dealt a good hand? That's the, the the prevailing hypothesis is that it's it's predominantly genetic, um, yeah. and that it can or or there is a small window of time um, mm. in early adolescence. I think when like you're like like between six months and three years old, where where it can be cultivated or activated. Yeah. Um. So so like like if you were four yeah. or five, you yeah. probably missed the boat. Yeah. Um, but it does really seem to run in families. Um, like, so you mean it's it's partly or the propensity for it is gen- genetic, yeah, exactly. but the degree to which you cultivate it. Um, maybe not the, the, the degree, but like if it's a, if it's like invoked, like like say um, mm. they're because they have observed there's a higher rate in tonal, um, tonal languages. I don't know if that's the word for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, like in Mandarin. Yeah, Mandarin or Cantonese. Yeah, they've noticed a higher rate of it. Um, yeah, which could be due to the fact that. Well, let's just be clear. What we mean is many more Chinese kids end up having perfect pitch than. Yeah, like, I think let's say more in the yeah. U.S. Yeah, greater um, fraction. Greater fraction. Yeah. yeah. So, and this is because Mandarin is a language in which the same sound uttered at different uh, tones, uh, at different notes, would mean different things. So if you make it a little higher pitched, it could mean an entirely different thing. So that means that the necessity for naming and remembering the the meanings of uh, different tones is important. So if you're born with a genetic propensity for being able to um, hang on. Now this brings another question. If the language itself uh, ascribes different meanings to a word depending on the tone, then everyone would have to have some degree of perfect pitch. Well, you can have relative pitch. Uh, yeah. and, and that's a pretty good... Well, and, and most of those tonal languages, uh, those pitches have motion, right? Like, mm. they're not static. Yeah, you, you, you're always They're always in context. Yeah. Um, so, so that that I think is is you can you can basically get by on relative like clearly most of them do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, same with music. It's yeah. it's a completely it's a completely unnecessary skill. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then, why would um, people speaking tonal languages have greater? Um, I think that goes back to the win the window of opportunity theory. Yeah. So, in other words, there's like maybe a a set. Um, percentage of the population that has the capacity for it yeah. but in tonal languages you're more likely to be exposed to situations where it's activated yeah i just don't know why because if if even in tonal languages all that matters is uh, the relativism of different uh, pitches then even from even within that window of opportunity what those kids will be hearing are just uh, importance is ascribed to relative um, pitches. Sure, I mean, so, but uh, that's yeah. not to say that having yeah. having a lens where you look at it, um, an absolute pitch wouldn't be easier or make it easier. True. So I think I think yeah. there's still an, there's probably an advantage. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a mystery. It is. Um, is there any situation in which it's a hindrance? Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. I was I was hoping you would say yes, but I wasn't really expecting you. No, to. absolutely. No, there's there's um in high school I was in choir and yeah. I had a high school the, the choir director knew I was the only person in the choir with perfect pitch. Um yeah. and so she tortured me and what <laughs> what, we had, you, what do you mean? So at the beginning of um rehearsals we would but have by the way, how did she find this out? Um I guess it was an established fact at this point. <laughs> okay. Um I see. Um, inquires it's kind of it's kind of helpful because you want those people to help 
keep yeah. the choir the choir from going high or low. Yeah, um, and it can also be fun because then you don't need to have a um, something for a starting pitch. Most like acapella yeah. performances, you have some starting tone that they tune to. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. So, by the way, how would they empirically test someone for uh, perfect pitch? What is a sample exercise? I, I mean, you can just go down to a piano and ask them what the note is. This does preclude the assumption, like, like you, you have to assume that the person has an affiliation with those sounds yeah. and those words, which yeah. I, I did not at first, yeah. right? And so that's why it's actually a little bit difficult to identify. Um, the way I, the way that it became obvious um, for me personally was my mom yeah. was like, ooh, this is a really cool song that was playing on the television. Yeah. And so I learned it on my violin. Yeah. And then it turned out that I was playing it in the same key that they were playing it on mm. the TV. So, mm. so that was kind of like, oh, interesting. Would someone have to find that out? I mean, like, I, I noticed that. <laughs> oh, you noticed that. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to, to think of it in terms of colors, like you said. Even before I knew the word purple, if I saw red, purple, blue, I would still know, okay, those are all different. Mm -hmm. And if I'm, if I'm shown purple an hour later, I would still, oh, that was the middle one mm -hmm. and not the first and not the third. So, so yeah. So, like, yeah, the way that I think about it, like, I'm almost 100% sure my dad has perfect pitch because yeah. when I practice something, like I'll be like in the other room and yeah. then like an hour later we're hanging out after yeah. dinner, he starts humming the thing I was practicing in the same key. Ah. So I'm like, most people, most people when they hum their favorite tune, yeah. like nine times out of 10 or yeah. 11 times out of 12, whatever, yeah. um, aren't in the same key. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah. yeah. So like the, the chances of that consistently happening are pretty low if you... Okay. Sorry, you were you were telling me the story of what happened in high school choir. This right. lady, yeah, um, our, yeah. Our, our choir director. We um, would go through sight reading exercises where you're given a piece you've never seen before, yeah. and the choir has to sing it together. Uh, what exercises? Sight singing, or sight, sight singing. Yeah, okay, that's what they call it. Hmm. Um, and so at the so beginning, you just see sheet music and you play, right? Okay, um, and so then. What she would do is she would she'd hand out the music and I would like I would look at it and be like oh cool you know G major great yeah. um, and then she would give the starting notes on the piano to the choir in a different key. Wow. Why? Because she knew I would then have to like look at the notes and in my mind those are all specific frequencies yeah. only one frequency and yeah. so then I have to basically take what what's on the page and transpose it into the key that she's moved it into. Yeah. Um, which was uh, and she did this intentionally. Yeah, to force me to do that. To force you to do that. The rest of the choir couldn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unless it unless it like puts puts the sopranos or the basses in a really bad range. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But she wouldn't move it that far. It would just be enough I see. to like. So let's get this clear. So when the rest of the choir is playing this sheet music, even though they they have the sheet music which tells them which notes they're supposed to be playing, just hearing her. Um, on the piano, they wouldn't be able to make a like one-to-one -one mapping. They would just be able to respect uh, changes. Yeah. And so to them, it doesn't really matter. They would start wherever. So their origin is set by her, and they couldn't really care too much where where exactly that's set. Yeah. But in your case, you had to do a much more explicit change of um, the, the transposition in your right. case was well. I. I that's what I did at first. And then yeah. what, what that helped me realize is that I had a really weak sense of relative pitch. Yeah, um, and, I was and about to ask that. Yeah, and so, so after a certain point, it, it yeah. actually became easier to think in terms of intervals. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that was actually really helpful. She I was see. She was helping me. Yeah, see, because I was just about to ask you, when she did that, 
uh, did you have to or was it still intuitive once you've transposed it that the next or was it not as intuitive as let's say it was to the rest of the choir no it wasn't intuitive and that's why i stopped yeah. thinking like that because um, it was it was it was it became yeah inhibiting yeah Wow, well, nature giveth, nature taketh away. <laughs> it's like, okay, we've got these two systems, and here are the pros and cons, and which one do you want? Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting because you could turn that around and say that uh, a certain section of people like you can have this one to one mapping mm-hmm. between absolute um, frequencies and, and the, the perceptual equivalent mm-hmm. of them. And the rest of the population have this gift for an intuition for uh, being able to transpose without needing to have this absolute uh, map worked out in their head. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. So in one, you're, you have a great neural mapping for the deltas, the differences. In the other, you have a good neural mapping for the absolute numbers, but not so much differences right yeah. well and I, I do i do think actually like it, it can like unless you cultivate it appropriately lead to certain rigidity yeah. um, because then you 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 don't have a a, a, a malleable or robust framework you just yeah. you just hear the notes again so so like music theory was a little bit different for me too because yeah. no no two chord progressions like say say you have a chord progression like um if you're a guitarist it'd be like c f g c mm. or or a one one four five minor chord um that in every key felt different to me. It never felt the same because they were different notes. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, some people who are but synest- you, you didn't get that intuition for oh, this is the same melody. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it had. I mean, it still had the same functionality to it. But yeah. but to me, they didn't have the same um, uh, like emotional content or quality almost. Um, like like they were just distinct. It was completely distinct. So so to me. Um, and still, uh, just unfortunately, because it's it's so popular, like keys like C major, G major, D major. These are keys that are yeah. um, really amenable to like open string guitars or like yeah. um, normally normally tuned guitars, um, and playing on the piano. So they're predominant. They're kind of like they saturate a lot of yeah. uh, popular music. And and I mean not, not popular music isn't overproduced, but like if someone's just playing on their guitar, yeah. it's probably going to be in C or G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so when I hear those keys they kind of just they have a very different connotation to me yeah um than if i heard the exact same thing half a step down Hmm. Um, and that's like a totally just like me problem that nobody cares about yeah Uh, but when you started uh practicing uh playing looking at sheet music transposed like this after a while did you get more and more of an intuitive feeling for uh, um relative yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, and, and, and the violin helps with that too because you're yeah. you're thinking physically um, with the, the span between your fingertips. Yeah. That's how you feel those intervals. So so yeah. it becomes actually very tactile. Yeah. Um, and so so in essence, sometimes when I sing, I actually, um, I imagine I'm playing the violin. Yeah. I, I like in my head, I'm seeing that yeah. and I'm feeling that, and that that helps me actually produce the right pitch. Yeah. In some yeah. ways, hmm. um, or at least move. It, it just wakes up my yeah. brain a little bit. So if, if a person who doesn't have perfect pitch, they cannot practice and get better at having perfect pitch, right? Is that right? Uh, basically, there I, I've known some people who've found some really interesting workarounds. Yeah. Um, there are 
there are some vocalists that I, that I knew that knew their voices so well and had practiced so much that they could feel okay. how, how hey, these felt. are hacks these are hacks yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're not, it's they're not the same thing as perfect pitch right yeah right. yeah you're not you're not going to get that absolute quality yeah. um, you can you can improve your relative pitch that's what yeah. that's what that your training class is for yeah um, yeah but in your case do you think that uh, practicing these uh, pieces of music with this transpose scale and doing other exercises such as that could brought you almost to the point where you had as good a sense of relative pitch as anyone else in the choir let's say yeah yeah eventually yeah well fuck you <laughs> <laughs> you get to have <laughs> anyway alright so well great stuff and um this is you can't take any credit for this <laughs> just remind you <laughs> all my pettiness okay Thanks for swinging by the Room of Lives. In the next episode, Venam describes how he had a unique musical sense from an early age and how he augmented it by learning much of music theory in his own way. What do you like to do Wednesday afternoons in the month of June? I know what I'd like to do Every Wednesday afternoon I want to spend with you Tuesdays are my days to be depressed Sometimes I don't even get dressed But every Wednesday afternoon I want to spend with you